0: and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW, void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.
1: Hey, welcome to the Hell Has an Exit podcast. I'm your host, Brian Alzate. This show is not affiliated with any specific 12-step program. If you or a loved one is struggling with an addiction, please find a local 12-step meeting. If you believe you may need detox or drug treatment of any kind, please call 833-999-1877 to speak to a specialist. This show is sponsored by United Recovery Project, a state-of-the-art drug and alcohol rehab facility. You can visit our website at unitedrecoveryproject.com. All right. Hey, welcome to Hell Has an Exit. I'm your host, Brian Alzate. Today, I have my boy Daryl M on the show. Welcome, Daryl. How's it going? It's going good, man. Thank you for having me. Yeah, here, bro. Man. I appreciate you driving out this way. It's far, right? Yeah, man. Yeah, this is west. <laughs> so a lot of times, like, people aren't used to driving, like, to Weston or Davey. Yeah. There's yeah. really no need to go here, right? There there's nothing here <laughs> that isn't over there, you know? Yeah. So where are you from, bro? philadelphia man
2: born mm-hmm. and raised i did like a 10 year stint in atlanta went back to philadelphia and now
1: i'm here so you're born and you're raised in philly yeah for the most part yeah what was uh growing up like for you growing up in philadelphia man it's very cutthroat what part of philly
2: i'm from north philly like the west part of north philly so it's like it's split up into two parts like kensington will be like mm-hmm. the east side of north philly the train station for my neighborhood is North Philadelphia station. Gotcha. Yeah, it's kind of, you know,
1: it's a, it's a unique environment, man. Mm -hmm. You know what I read? I read this book, uh, I think it's Kareem Rosser Mm -hmm. and he's, uh, he's from Philly. And he was talking about how he has like horses and stuff. You guys have? you guys are like yeah you guys have like cowboys right yeah that's so crazy They're black cowboys black and, cowboys uh, yeah, yeah black cowboys. that's a real thing oh, yeah wow, that's, that's cool. more
2: like 29th street out 29th uh-huh. and maybe cecil B more like Burke's area it's yeah. kind of close to the philadelphia zoo uh-huh. um yeah a lot of those guys are out there
1: <laughs> so um what's your story man when do you uh start using and everything like that i think the first time i ever used something it, it was weed mm-hmm. um
2: probably around, like, 1991, maybe, Mm -hmm. I seen what it was producing, the effect it had on them at the playground. You know, they smoking, laughing, joking, and I'm like, oh, that's a cool kid. So I walk up, I take a puff, and my heart Uh just, uh, and I was like, you know, I'm having a heart attack, and I ran to my boy's house, and, you know, his mom came, what's going on with you? And it was like a recovery town, Mm -hmm. you know. My dad and his wife, you know, my stepmom, you know, they were all in recovery,
1: your dad and your stepmom were both in recovery? Yeah. Oh wow. Uh. Yeah. My father,
2: um, if he was still living, he would have probably around like thirty four years. Oh, that's it's crazy. And my stepmom, who I have like a really close relationship mm-hmm. with now on November fifteenth, she'll have thirty four years. That's crazy. Yeah. So we like grew up in this town and you know they rushed me to the er and i get in the er mm-hmm. like my, man with an heart attack the and first time
1: smoke weed went to the ER oh it's crazy, <laughs> <to> ER. <laughs> crazy. They were
2: like oh man i'm like it is spazzing out i'm having a heart attack i can hear it in my ear and i'm gonna die this that and the mm-hmm. third and you know the doctor just whispered to my dad like your son's high man hmm. <laughs> It was like i didn't know he made me go to like some meetings and stuff like that it wasn't speaking my language at you know 13. I'm yeah like, whatever the interesting part for me and that experience was, is that I couldn't wait to do it again. And that started my journey into like everything else.
1: And then kind of like where the progression go from. Did you started doing harder drugs like after high school? Well, I didn't graduate because I sold crack.
2: You know, how did you start doing that? I had a cousin who was in recovery.
1: Mm-hmm. He serving. T-
2: yeah. He yeah. was like in recovery, like moving work. You know, my dad had ended up dying, you know, in April of 95. So I kind of like went back to my biological mom's house mm-hmm. and I wasn't really feeling it. You know what I mean? Because she had like structure. It was like, nah, I ain't trying to be here. So I just ran back to Williamsport from Philadelphia and my cousin was like, I'll take care of you, whatever. And he, you know, he, like, introduced me. He, like, would take me around and then, like, probably, like, six months into him hanging with me every day. It's just, mm-hmm. like, bro, like, you know what I mean? He gave me a pat. You know, rap music started to make sense a little more mm-hmm. than, like, what they were talking about. Because I really never understood anything like that. Yeah. You know, selling drugs. Um, My grandma I'm sold drugs for, like, my whole life. Mm-hmm. So I really, you know, I was around it, but I didn't have to indulge. When I got, you know, around 15, 16, you know, my cousin introduced me to that. I had this goal. I was going to get a million dollars of tax-free money in 1996. That That's a big dream to have, yeah. you know. <laughs> it was like, let me get a million dollars, man.
1: So that was your goal, is just to, like, sell as much crack as you could to get a million dollars and then stop? I-, I didn't know. I just, yeah, That was you know just I mean? the goal? That was just the goal. Mm-hmm.
2: And I was a parent at that time, too.
1: You had a kid at 16?
2: Yeah, I had a kid. My first son was you gotta born. You got to back up
1: cuz this is like.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I have a I had a son. My oldest son his name's Messiah mm-hmm. and he was just here at my house wow. him and his wife and my granddaughter. He was born I was 15, so I was like a parent. I didn't know anything. My dad died maybe 4 months before he was born. Hmm. So, you know, he wasn't around to tell me how to be a dad. You know, I would just be out doing whatever, and I would stop in every now and then, but I was very, very immature, man, Mm -hmm. you know, very immature. You know, I would just be out in the street, and it would just be more and more and more. I think that's where my addiction started at. It wasn't even the pursuit of money, because I even got lost in that. It was about, like, showing up in the club, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean, with my chain or with my boys, and, like, I had to develop, like, a survival type of instinct you know um and that's when things started to change for me it stopped being fun you know the first year or so it was fun it's like recovery in mm-hmm. the first year it's like super fun everybody's yeah. super nice and everything's super good and I'm at the halfway killing it and I'm like getting new jobs and I'm getting like money in my bank account and I'm like all these first Evers mm-hmm. and then like year two hit and you're just kind of it's all about character you like oh what do you mean I have to work now Mm -hmm. like now it's about work and it's like oh so that's kind of like what it was it was like first year it was all fun and you know nobody's holding me accountable for anything and you know I'm just drinking and smoking and partying and getting hotel rooms with girls who Mm -hmm. think I'm cute because I'm not going to school and I'm doing that whole bad boy meeting people after school type thing. You know what I mean? And all that kind of like faded away and I was like really in the streets. You know what I mean? It it gets really cutthroat at that point. Like I didn't really care. I just did it because I thought it was fun. It was like cool and I was introduced to it. It was like easy, you know, but once that stuff starts happening, man, and you start getting into it with people and they want to rob you and you see people getting shot and all those things that come with that lifestyle, and then, like, what happened after that? What happened after that? I, I just went on for years doing that. Like, in and
1: out of the streets and selling drugs? Yeah, not even in and out. Just in. Just, okay. <laughs> just in, like, full in. And um... To some people, that's, like, their only other option that they see. Like, mm-hmm. they don't see people going to college. Like, they don't see people amassing any type of success other than selling drugs. Mm-hmm. So it's like, they look at their family that, like, is miserable working a shitty nine-to-five. Or they look at their cousin... With a dope-ass ride not going to work and having money. It's also
2: circumstantial.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: It's like, what are your circumstances like? Like, I need to get this bread right now. I didn't really have an understanding of, like, tearing up my community. Mm -hmm. You know, like, selling crack to people was harming them because, like, I was in love with, like, like where I come from. That's so normal. That's just, like, life. Mm -hmm. You know, people smoke crack until they die. You know, there's a lot of popular conversations now Mm -hmm. or, or trending, you know, especially in the black community that people are getting a little more conscious of like help that's available mm-hmm. you know um seeing therapists and having like mental health issues and just being a little more transparent and authentic where like you know we're just not following the pack anymore at a certain point man like when you sell crack at 16 man, you get to 21 i think around 19 20 years old i got shot mm-hmm and I almost died I got shot five times
1: how did you what how did this happen <laughs> yeah I was standing
2: outside my grandma's house man this little dude about five foot two man you know
1: it's always t- little guys.
2: yeah he came up you know my grandma's house was a trap house you know but we all lived there and anyway I come outside with my man and like he going down to the Chinese store at the corner to get some Dutchess we gonna go back up play Madden and smoke or whatever, yeah. I had them been on like ten zannies that day. Mm-hmm. This dude comes up, and like you could see, like his shadow, like through the snow. It was like a blizzard. He comes up, and when he's coming, I didn't till he got here on me. I was like, whatever. Until he got here, and I saw a gun in his hand, and I was like, I bitched up, like bro, like <laughs> I said, yo. I said to him in statement, I said, man, listen, I have a car right here full of stuff, uh-huh. right. Just don't shoot me. I'll give you everything. I got about $500 in my pocket. And I got a weed and coke in the car in the trunk. Don't shoot me. The nigga shot me. Wow. Like, he didn't say anything. Like, right after He I wasn't said, even trying to rob you? I don't know. It he was, just ran up and shot you? Yeah. Like, he he let me make that statement to him. I said, bro, like, I got everything right here in the so, trunk. Wow. Just don't shoot me. And when I finished shot saying you that, five
1: times? Yeah. With a nine millimeter?
2: With a nine Glock. Maybe about a year ago, I just got the two bullets taken out of my shoulder because they had to work their way out. Mm-hmm. And they were actually called, these bullets called cop killers. They're like exploding Hollow bullets. Yeah. yeah. So they kind of like had a cauliflower shape. Yeah. And, the, and the nurse is like, do you see the shape of that? And I'm like, yeah. And she's like, that's a cauliflower shape. That means only one thing. And I'm like, what? She was like, these bullets exploded on contact. Mm-hmm. So you shouldn't even have a limb that you have right now mm-hmm. because it hit it twice. But no, he shot me five times at like a point blank range and thank god they don't have like shooting ranges in the hood yeah niggas yeah. can't
1: shoot they just like oh my you god you know what i mean
2: because he was po- he was supposed to he was supposed to check
1: me like i was supposed to be flatline like is there did you find out why was it like some street no. shit it's just like some random thing you never really figured it out nah it's just everyday life you know what i mean it's like yo you get shot you patch it up mm-hmm. you know what i mean
2: and you keep it moving you know, it's just the way it is, you know. When you
1: got shot five times, did that change or alter your life? No. Maybe, like, subconsciously? No. You don't think there was, like, a lot of trauma from it?
2: Fourth of July was pretty painful for me. Wow. Snowy nights were kind of, like, be walking down the street, and it starts snowing. It's, like, mm-hmm. dark, and I'm, like, freaking out. Like, man, I got to get in the fucking house. You know what I mean?
1: Um, and you kept selling drugs after that, like nothing happened. Yeah, I did. Because did you get, like, a lot of street cred for after that, or not Really? <laughs>
2: Where I'm from, like, niggas get shot every day. It's just kind of like how my man, yeah, it's like how my man say, you know what I mean? It's like, that's a true, yo, that was one of the truest statements. I think that's why it's like such a popular statement in that movie. Yeah, because
1: it's part of it.
2: Yeah, niggas get shot every day, you know what I mean? It's just kind of like how Mm -hmm. it is. And it's like, you know, people who were personal to me. You know, it's like no, I was fighting for my life. I guess it's like my culture growing up. Like people overdose every day. (laughs) Yeah, people overdose every day, and I mean, even in Philadelphia, right? Uh With that, you know, people been doing that in my neighborhood. You know, my daddy was a heroin addict. He grew up like he grew up in the era where like sniffing heroin
1: with like dress shoes it was cool and, yeah, yeah where like of a course. pimp would come out <laughs> with like some fucking girl <laughs> and he'd be like yo i got some boy
2: yeah they'd be like sniffing heroin all cool and shit, playing yeah. fucking baseball or whatever they did yeah so i you know i come up around like a lot of like different drugs crack was prevalent in my area but it was like everything mm-hmm. there was annies and syrup which i was like part of there was crack I sold a lot of crack. I never used it. I sniffed cocaine. Mm-hmm. I was like one of the nose boys. That was that was my deal. And it was like heroin. And I and I kind of stayed away from that. I, I caught a mental block from that from my daddy. Okay. So yeah. you knew like maybe I shouldn't fuck with this. I knew I didn't want to. Mm-hmm. First of all, I don't want to stick it in my, you know, vein. And then my dad, he died from AIDS. So he contracted HIV, you know, in the late 80s. You know, Mm -hmm. maybe mid-'80s, and he just lived for it. He had it before Magic Johnson had it. Mm -hmm. So nobody really gave a shit. It was still around, like, even Freddie Mercury had died. Mm -hmm. So it's just kind of like we're trying to figure this out. You know, enough people, hadn't whatever, was still, like, phenomena, kind of. You know, so when he got sick, I mean, I remember they were just kind of, like, drink some Ensure and wash Mm -hmm. your dishes with bleach, dog, and, like, count the seconds. I think seeing him, like, just wither away you know his life the last couple of years with him kind of put a mental block with me because there have been some moments where like i was like
0: where i get the next
2: one it. from yeah. yeah and the and dude's like hey, just, hey i got this and i'm like nah, nah, I, i'll you know, just you know, i'll just be geeked for the rest uh-huh. of the night i ain't fucking with that you know um it that did but like yo getting shot was like this weird like sense of like Tupacness, mm-hmm. like Invincibility. Yeah, like, you know what I mean, like, I'm out here, but it was also like, <laughs> not a big deal. Yeah, it was not a big deal in my environment. But to my family, you know, it was also the like, you lucky. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, God's with you. You know, I had an aunt that told me that like, God ain't through with you yet. You know, so when she said that it was like, Okay, I'll go to church or whatever. And mm-hmm. when I started like using like coke real heavy. Like that, I would kind of like start looking for answers, and I would end up in churches and masjids, praying with like the Muslims, and like wow. going to church and like you know what I mean.
1: Talk. Like high or like after? I've or, been I've been to the masjid high, but you would go high, or you would be so bad on coke, like overall, just like in your most addiction, times. that yeah. you would just be down and out, and then start seeking. Yeah, it. yeah, most times, like yeah.
2: that's what that's what
1: happened. Um, My mom used to take me to church whenever she found me high. <laughs> <laughs> I remember it'd be, like, early in the morning, and she'd be like, Brian, like, I got food right now. I'm like, oh, I'm not yeah. hungry. I'd have, like, lock jaw like yeah. crazy. And she'd be like, open the door. She could hear it. And I remember she would take one look at me, and she'd be like, I'm taking you to church. To be honest with you, I went willingly. The only thing I knew about recovery was that people have these God things. Mm-hmm. Like, I would watch, like, documentaries on TV, and it'd be, like, some famous rock star. And be like, "Oh," And then I found yeah. Jesus, you know? And I remember going to church and being like, nah, fuck this. But, like, there'd be, like, one little part of me that's, like, Oh, maybe something will happen to me yeah. here. You know, for me, it always
2: seemed like the preacher or the imam was talking directly to me. Mm-hmm. It was like you picked the right day to come here because yeah. I have this sermon.
1: Yeah, up, me right too, you, me right? too. Whenever I would go to church, my mom would be looking at me, and she'd be like, see? <laughs> always and they'd be like talking that. about, like, drugs and whatever, <laughs> or someone's here broken or whatever, yeah. and my mom would be like, that's you. <laughs> yeah, and
2: I, yeah. I would always think, like, I would always go, and, like, I wasn't willing to try recovery, even though my dad, you know, had been a recovering person. And I had an uncle, Michael, who actually gave me my first basic tax.
1: Your uncle. Yeah,
2: I was just sitting on the corner and he had one. Wow. He rolled up on me, you know, it was his first one. He had got clean when it was like there wasn't even area codes and he mm-hmm. gave I still have it now to this day. With the all the phone numbers in there with just like seven numbers. Just seven digits. <laughs> it's like yeah. there's no emails, yeah. there's no you know what I mean? There's just addresses and
1: seven digit numbers in it. He gave that to me and told me I was gonna need it. Mhm. You know. You gotta tell me when you're using went from like Coke and syrup and serving to, like, hard—because your drug of choice was Coke, right? Yeah, I like to sniff Coke. So, like, when did it become, like, you know, a full-time job, like, just to do—like, when did it become addiction, you know what I mean? Around, like, 2000. So after I got shot, you know,
2: they were giving me crazy Percocets. Mm -hmm. They had stopped. And, um, I hate when they do that. Yeah, they stopped and, and I started, you know, drinking Sandy's and syrup again and said, you got to do something with your life, right? Mm-hmm. So I go, to this, I go to this class, I'm an endangered youth, you know, so they send me to this thing and you have to get a trade and I go get a trade and, and it's a hospitality training, mm-hmm. right? So I go to this hospitality training and I do everything for weeks and the Marriott comes in and they're like, hey, we need two people to hire now. The dude's like, man, this dude, like, he's, like, pretty good. So, like, take him. And he took me. And when I got that job, the supervisor there, she liked me. Mm -hmm. She liked cocaine. Uh And and I was still, like, doing street shit. So I was, like, at this point, I'm, like, selling coke. After we did all that, she went to sniffing it again. And I'm just kind of like, why? Like, and I had a lot of cousins that was sniffing it. And it was kind of like this, like, ominous thing that was happening around me where it's just like sniff it, sniff it, Mm -hmm. sniff it. But it was just like coming through people. And it came through her and, like, you know, God uses people and so does the lower power, Mm -hmm. you know. And the lower power knows what I like. I love women, Mm -hmm. you know. That's my soft spot. And it was just kind of like I'm going to use this woman. And, you know, I just asked her. Super Bowl Sunday, the Giants had played the Baltimore Ravens. Boston Readers had won their first Super Bowl. I was asking her, like, yo, like, why are you so, like, you know what I mean? And she was like, oh, it's just a feeling that, like, you would never feel before. And she said, listen, this first feeling you have, you're going to chase that for the rest of your life, mm-hmm. is what she told me. She was 10 years older than me. I was 20 at the time. She was 30. So man, give me that shit. You know what I mean? Like, I seen my daddy fall. Yeah. Like, I ain't never going to be me. And I took a sniff of that shit, man. And, um... She took to ambient and went to sleep before I knew it. It was light time.
1: Mm.
2: You know what I mean? Before I knew it was light time. And like the ounce of like Coke I was buying to sell at work and all these places that I would go with it mm-hmm. turned into a half ounce. You know what I mean? And it turned into a quarter. And then mm-hmm. it turned into like, yo, let me get this pack and like yeah. I'll pay you back and like hide out for like two weeks because I don't got the money.
1: Yeah, I remember when uh, my drug dealer started doing it. I remember I had this one Spanish drug dealer and uh, he never did it, right? Mm -hmm. And I remember this one time um, he called me. He's like, yo, he's like, yo, this shit right here, dog. You got to come try this shit. (laughs) And I could tell he was like, like, yo, you got to come try this shit. You got to come try this shit. And I went because I thought it was like some super fucking crazy coke. Mm -hmm. And he like, I remember I only wanted like a little bit. And he's like, "Nah, you got to get a lot. This shit's crazy right now. And I did it, I was like, well, really, it's like the same, in my mind, I was like, this is the same shit we always do. Like, it wasn't like that much better. Right. It was good, but it wasn't like that crazy. I had heard that he had like snorted like a whole ounce over the weekend and like ended up like in the ER. Since then, like he never sold drugs ever again. Like this dude used to sell drugs all the time. He just became like a straight up cokehead. Right. And it's like, it's crazy to see somebody, because when you're a drug dealer, in my opinion, like he was very like, he looked down at us. Uh-huh. You know like uh like what you want that da, 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 like kind of like mean or whatever you know. Yeah. And uh when he started using it was like you would just run into him and he would just be like one of us just So I, w- I was raised different. Hustle. Like my grandma always raised me to be for the underdog mm-hmm.
2: which now in recovery gets me in a lot of trouble. But I really never approach people with judgment. Like in my neighborhood there's no room for judgment, man. Like we just in the mix of like that jungle, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Everybody's doing whatever they do is that what you do that's your thing, that's what you do
1: a teen solo hiker who was terrorized for days by unknown figures dressed in white two cops who quit their job at a local theater because of an unexplained encounters with an alleged demon an isolated forest in canada where people keep turning up headless these are just some of the strange dark and mysterious stories you'll hear each week on the mr ballin podcast in each episode mr ballin shares real-life haunting accounts like the case of Haley Zaga, who disappeared from a hiking trail for 51 hours. When search and rescuers finally found her and asked how she survived, she simply said a friend helped her. She described this friend, 4 years old, black hair, and brown eyes. This friend was initially dismissed until they realized a girl had gone missing in that exact spot 23 years earlier and was never found. She was four years old, had black hair, and brown eyes. Hey, Prime members, listen to the Amazon Music exclusive podcast, Mr. Ballin' Podcast, Strange and Dark Mysterious Stories, and the Amazon Music app. Download the app today.
0: With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
2: Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom?
0: Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo, and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: My transition into recovery was, like, so easy when it actually came. I have been blessed to just keep my life in the street because I still had, like, degree of respect for people because like i said my daddy was out in the street and a lot of his friends had fell and became like kids would be growing up and be treating them like oh these niggas is like these junky ass yeah. you know what i mean but i knew them before they were that yeah so you could see like the before and after yeah yeah so it would always be like oh that's uncle day day to me you know mm-hmm. what i mean or whatever the case may be that's how you know i was raised so it's like when i started doing my own thing you know, whatever a person did, that's what they did. Cool. So when I actually fell and was like really addicted, you know, people would just be like, man, get your shit together. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Nobody really like, I didn't really get treated like one time. And that's what actually made me seek recovery. Mm. The first time it happened, it made me seek recovery. I had took some TVs from my cousin's house and um I had them in a the shopping cart and I probably walked like Ten miles with him to like get rid of him at mm-hmm. this particular spot in Kensington, from my area.
1: That's like wrecking for a dream. If you have seen that, yeah,
2: yeah, it was bad. So I go, <laughs> I go, I go over, you know, to this dude, and I'm telling him like I need three hundred dollars for this TV. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I need five twenties, 20s hundred in cash. You know what I mean? Or, or I told him I need ten twenties, 20s hundred in cash, and mm-hmm. I wanted two packs of cigarettes. And he's like, All oh, right, I got you, Papa. You know what I mean? Then he starts screaming like, I undo, undo, whatever!" They screaming, like, "What the fuck is going on?" You know what I mean? I'm geek nervous. But he said, "Oh, pop, 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 take this real quick." You know what I mean? Police coming, and I'm like, "Okay." So he cart TVs out into the alleyway, and I'm like, "Oh, where you going? Like, give me the rest of shit." Mm-hmm. But he already got the goods now, so he just kind of like, "We got that. What you gonna do?"
1: Mm-hmm.
2: It's three in the morning. I'm in a trap. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm and i'm broken as a human being like i'm a shell of a man mm-hmm. like all i want to do is get high i don't want to fight you know i don't want to argue i don't want to fuss i don't want to prove my manhood i don't care if you disrespect me just mm-hmm. give me what you're gonna give me man but just give me what i'm asking for please
1: mm-hmm.
2: Nah, dog like like you got what you got yeah. yeah get the fuck out of here you know i feel like i was at the lowest point i'm just gonna go on my way and i went walking back home and it was snowing big snow man and and, and i remember all the snow was falling in the bag. I couldn't get high, bro. I couldn't get high, it was so bad. And I just thought to myself, like, this is what my life has become, walking in the snow, man. And, and and my grandma, she had moved and my cousin had bought her house, you know what I mean? And it was like, you know, that house had been there for years and it's like, I, I went in there and I did that, you know, and, and this is unprecedented stuff. It was just bad, like I did all that to not even get what I wanted to mm. get three 20s of cocaine and for the snow
1: to fall in them. Yeah, I remember <laughs> those days where it's like two days of trying to hustle up money and then getting beat. And, like, <laughs> bro, like, you know, like, I was addicted to crack, but I was also, like, an opiate addict. Mm-hmm. And, like, being physically dependent on opiates and doing, like, X, Y, and Z to get the money and getting this person to drive you and telling this lie or whatever and stealing this item and then selling it. And then to, like, make it all the way to the dope dealer, and then for someone to sell you some fake shit or to rob you, mm-hmm. and then to walk home, it's like... Yeah. That's, that's like, a sh- that feeling of, like, total, total worthlessness and, yeah, like, despair. Yeah. Because when you're using, like, if something happens, like, you're like, all right, well, if this person doesn't answer, I'm going to call this person. If this person doesn't buy this, I'm going to just sell this. If this doesn't have whatever. Like you do that so many times that you like lose the belief that you can even hustle up more money. Mm. And then like, you just don't have the will anymore to even try. Yeah. And you just like, it breaks your whole spirit where Mm. you're just like,
2: I want to die. Yeah. Those are, for me, it's like the two facets of like hopelessness, right? It's Mm -hmm. like the fact that like, I'm never going to get it right. Or like trying to hold my breath long enough to not get high. Or it's Mm -hmm. like, I'm going to get high. Let's just see how long I can't, right? You know, the other part is like when the world around me starts to kind of like close in and give up too. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So it's like not having anything in myself to believe in. And it's like, I'm totally beat. Mm -hmm.
1: Even for you, when you know that other people have gotten clean, it doesn't affect you because you just think like that's them. Mm -hmm. You know, so like. For me, I had never even met anybody to get clean. Having hope of change or, like, when you don't even have one example, Mm -hmm. it's like, dude, it's impossible. Yeah. Like, you feel like, I started to feel like, like, I fucked up my life. I thought this shit was the game. I thought that I could, like, I thought I'd be the only person to smoke crack and not get addicted. Mm -hmm. And here I am, full-fledged addicted. And even if I got clean, it would be like holding my breath, just like you said. Like, Mm -hmm. even if I could stay clean, it would only be like minuscule. Yeah. And it would be like, yeah. What's the point? That hopeless
2: place, man. And like, you know, coming to a place of surrender, right? And and that's the thing. That's what's so important about carrying a message. I was in a hopeless place. And if the right thing was said in that moment, you know, I may or may not have, but I was not like I was hopeless, but I was not willing to surrender.
1: Yeah. And for me, it's like with cocaine and crack, it's like I can go days or even weeks and be like, I can't even believe I did that shit. It's gross. I don't even want to do that shit. And then there's like that one little window of opportunity where like, if you have money and that feeling, that thought comes over you of like, just get one. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's not, it's more than a thought. It like, covers your whole body where you almost feel like you got high. Mm-hmm. Like you, like for me, like if I thought about it and I was alone and I was driving and I was near a street that I knew I could cop, it would be as if like I just did a hit and I need another one. Like I was already high mm-hmm. just from the feeling. And then when I make the decision to go get it, my physical body feels different, you know? You start farting You start farting and, shit. you start <laughs> farting and <laughs> shitting, you know, you want to throw up. Yeah. And it's like... That's how addictive cocaine crack is. Yeah, People don't understand that, like, it's not like I'm trying to stop eating sugar here. You know what I mean? Which most people on the planet Earth can't do. But, like, we're talking about, like, the most addictive substance known to man. Like, we're talking about when they give this shit to animals, they choose this over food. Yeah. And sometimes people don't understand how hard it is to get off these hardcore drugs. Yeah. most shocking and amazing part is that so many of us do and we're doing it every single day. Cause like, yeah, there's an opiate epidemic and people are dying from fentanyl and people are always going to get addicted to crack or whatever. But there's so many people staying clean Mm -hmm. that I think that that's like the message. And like the point of the podcast is because like, dude, I lived my whole life until I got clean. I'd never even met someone to get clean. And if I did, it was just the polished product. Yeah, I just saw like one guy on TV say, I used to be a drug addict. No, I'm not like I didn't, there was no process right i didn't understand how to do it
2: yeah that obsession piece man that's that's just diabolical dog. <laughs> like
1: I, I swear i swear like crack is like the only drug that i feel like is evil like there's something evil yeah, there about it. it's like something dark about it you feel disgusting <laughs> it's
2: diabolical because the, the, the mental the mental aspect behind it the right?
1: psychosis yeah it's it's like this and people think coke and crack are so different i've done so much coke Mm-hmm. Where I would literally be in psychosis, mm-hmm. seeing things that's not there, not eating. Like, bro, I, I would, talk about it all the time. Like, I would hear a lighter across the street and I'd fucking fall out of my bed. You know, like being yeah. that geeked out.
2: Yeah, I've had those experiences as well. I've done a lot of that, you know, running out of hotels and my underwear and all that. <laughs> and, and that's why I say this shit's diabolical, dog. Because when obsession meets opportunity, it changes your clean date every mm-hmm. single time and that's always what happens and for me being stuck in that cycle I've never ever seen anybody on the face of this earth go into an obsession and come out successfully right I've only seen people fall short to the obsession you know come into the grips of the obsession right Mm -hmm. and when I come out of it I have this window right to where like there's a little bit of willingness like if if there's something said uh what do they call it's a moment of clarity Mm -hmm. Right? I have this moment of clarity because of all the pain I've just experienced, coming down from going up, but I don't really picture any of that going up. Mm -hmm. Like, that's never, you know, pleasure principle, you know what I mean? What is this going to do for me instead of what it's gonna do to me? Like, that's how I filter, you know, that once the obsession develops from a thought, you know, it takes over everything else. And I'm just kind of like, I'm stuck. I'm pretty powerless over that, right? Mm -hmm. And, And that's where the 12-step experience is so prevalent because like I- I've been in churches you know I've been in masjids man you know I've been to a Buddhist temple you know down here on Samsung Street with people you know I mean I've talked to many many some real powerful people man about like my condition and and I haven't seen anything work until I fully indulged myself into To toss that process, having Mm -hmm. like those two surrenders, surrendering to the disease, then surrendering to the process, right? And then Mm -hmm. when when that happens, Mm -hmm. man, something, you know, something happens between me and the universe to where like there's a bit of hope, right? And and I get that from other people, Mm -hmm. but there's also, Dave Chappelle said, man, like when the stakes are everything, you tell yourself whatever you need to hear to survive. Mm -hmm. And that's how coming to florida from philly that's how it was for me because i love my city. i love my city you know what i mean it's like i didn't really want to stay here Mm -hmm. so it was like when i got here for me it was about survival because i knew there was only two roads for me Mm -hmm. right there was like a a road where i can meet recovering people i have a blank slate i don't know anybody here Mm -hmm. and you know you you meet the gurus and the judgmental Mm -hmm. people all geographic you take yourself wherever you are Like, I know that, nigga. Like, I don't need to hear that from you.
1: But it's like, uh, like, I always tell people that, like, yeah, geographical change on its own is not going to change anything. But it does give you a fighting chance. It's like, dude, if I'm trying to be on a diet, I probably don't want to live next to McDonald's. (laughs) At all. And, like, could you be on a diet and live next to McDonald's? Yeah. But if you've been eating McDonald's for 30 years, wouldn't it be a little easier if you could live further away from McDonald's? Yeah, there's other junk food you can eat, but it's like, that geographical change is an embodiment of, like, the burning the boats. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, I truly believe that if you want to get clean, you have to do things over and over and over. That's like a burning the boats type of thing where it's like, uh, you know, the burning the boats story? You know I about? I'll try to say this story properly. There's like this treasure that this, you know, a group of people back in like the 1900 or 1800, I don't know when, but they had this treasure for years. Mm-hmm. And no one could take it. People would try over and over to conquer them and take the treasure and nobody could do it. And let's say it's like hundreds of million dollars in treasure. And there's this one guy and he starts to build an army and he's like, look, we're going to go and take the treasure. And everyone's all gassed up about the treasure. They start, you know, they, they sail over there to take the treasure Halfway there, they start talking like, well, how long have they had the treasure for? Like, oh, they've had the treasure for like 500 years. So, like, so in 500 years, we're supposed to be the ones who take them. And then they start talking amongst each other about how all these other armies that were bigger than they were couldn't take the treasure. So when they land, everyone's like, I don't think we should do this. I don't think we're going to be able to take the treasure. Like, what if we die? All these other people died. I don't think anybody could take the treasure. And the general was like, burn the boats. And they were like, what? And then he's like, yeah, burn the boats. And they burned the boats. So that way they couldn't retreat. Hmm. This is like the mentality of like, there's no option B. Mm -hmm. We're either taking the treasure or we all die here today. Right, right, right. And they took the treasure. That's heavy. And it's like, it wasn't about having more manpower. It wasn't about having better trained soldiers. It was about canceling plan B. It was about having your back against the wall. Mm-hmm. And bringing out that like animalistic, this needs to happen mentality. And I think that that's what you need to do to stay clean. Because yeah. when people have that back door, addicts are slippery, bro.
2: Yeah. We used to call that the shelf. Mm-hmm. We used to call that the shelf. It's like, yo, put that on the shelf. And yeah. if this don't work, you could go back to it. I put everything I had into recovery. And trust me, it hadn't been a perfect like walk. I get in trouble, you know, mm-hmm. I make bad decisions. I do things all the time but one thing i haven't done in almost seven years is used Mm -hmm. since i've been here and there's been some events you know i had a brother who got murdered countless heartbreaks like Mm -hmm. you know dating and recoveries like fishing in a pool of sharks (laughs) man you know what i mean there's been some things you know my grandmother passed most people ask me like how did you not use over that Mm -hmm. right but when i got here you know what I mean? When I got here, like I said, the geographics for me it was like simple math. If I could mm-hmm. not live in the city where I wanted to be at, then I was going to put a hundred percent into what I'm doing now. You know, and then I started to fall in love with the process.
1: Yeah, and it's like when you move away, every single second you're aware that I moved away to get clean. Mm-hmm. So when you're walking down the street, you know you're here because you need to get clean. Right? There's no illusion of like why I'm here. It's yeah. like, bro. I'm only in Florida to get clean. So when I'm <laughs> yeah. at a job interview and people are asking me why I'm here, I might not say I'm here to get clean, but I'm bringing it up constantly. Yeah. So it's like I tell people all the time, it's like if you want to change your life and you've been fucking it up for years, mm-hmm. little turns aren't going to do it. You got to do something fucking drastic and you got to do what you don't want to do. Mm-hmm. So I always tell people like when they have options, like you got to think about what's the hardest one. And you got to start doing the hardest one, and a lot of times that difficult option is moving. Yeah, who the nobody wants to move. And I'm not saying that if you move away from your hometown, you're going to stay clean. But I'm going to say that it's like it's part of a good recipe. Mm -hmm. If you don't have that, you you got to stock up on all the other shit. You know what I mean? So it's like it's part of a good recipe for someone to stay clean. Yeah, and to stay clean, it takes like a multitude of things consistently over time.
2: Yeah, it does. I think most people in recovery. You know, they learn in reverse, right? Mm -hmm. Like we we have events happen, we make decisions, things happen, and then we learn, you know, whatever, because the scenario is going to play again, right? I think coming here for me, like God had his hands all over it, Mm -hmm. you know, the way way I saw it, you know, after I had like a year and I just like processed everything. The first time I knew I was free from the obsession to use, right, is when my brother got killed and I was like on Kensington and, and Westmoreland. At a breakfast spot, you know, and his kid key Kensington? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's called J and J. They have good fishing good. grits, right? And um, so I go there with my man and he's like, I'm gonna pick you up, you know, whatever. So he picked me up, we eat breakfast, we come out, you know what I mean? And we on I'm on Facebook being smart. Like, nigga, I take pictures in the trap. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That's how free I am. It was really just, like, an arrogant, like, yeah. new guy type of thing. And, um, yeah, it's a total, yeah, like, yeah. less than 90 days clean thing. Yeah. yeah, so this kid, you know, this kid, Keith, he's called me from across the street. Like, yo, what's up with you, man? Like, you know what I mean? And I'm like, I'm chilling. Like, all right, boy, or whatever. But the nigga kept, like, yo, like, what's up with you? So I'm, like, asking my man, like, what's up with your man? Like, what's up with the boy? He like, oh, no, you probably out here on the shift. What I realized at that time when he said that is that, that was the last thing I had bought cocaine from hmm. before I got off, before I got on the plane to come here. You know, the very last thing I bought cocaine from. Mm-hmm. And that's why he kept asking me that. But, you know, in that world, you know, six months is like a week. You yeah. know what I mean? You don't know it. So he didn't even know I had been going that long, mm-hmm. but I did. But I had done so much work, you know, in steps and in meetings and like everything I was doing and discovering that there was a transition there was a transformation that happened mentally Mm -hmm. right the thing was a lot of people and you'll see them down here they'll be like oh kensington kensington is scarier than a fourth step for some of these niggas and i'm Uh like like bro i've never been scared to walk through i've seen plenty of people get clean there but also when i was on that corner it didn't even dawn on me Mm -hmm. that the area was a drug-infested area Mm -hmm.
1: and that's when i realized i was free I realized I was free when I was able just to walk down that street. Yeah, I think uh for me it was when people stopped asking me for drugs mm-hmm. because it's like my energy had changed. Mm-hmm. So there was a time I remember I had like months clean. This girl hit me up, hey da-da-da, can you get me some white? I was like, nah, I'm in recovery now, I don't do that stuff anymore. Okay, but I know you can get it for me. Like people just have zero respect, you know what I mean? <laughs> and I was just like, like, bro, I just told you I'm in recovery. And you're just gonna, and then like a part of me was like, should I go get it? Because that's where I got my self worth from, mm-hmm. was being the guy who could get people drugs. It was why people liked me. It's why people hit me up. It's right. why I felt a part of. So like I, I used to get drugs for. I didn't. I wouldn't really call it like selling drugs, but in recovery, I used to still get people drugs because mm-hmm. I didn't have anything else to do. I was bored. Right. And right, I still right. liked being in that area. And it it was a rush to be clean and be like like hitting that wall of like, this isn't, this is almost using, you know, mm-hmm. and I used to get a rush from that. There was a time where I, I wised up and realized that, you know, I am going to the barbershop constantly. I am going to get a haircut and I stopped doing those things. And then there became a time where like after a year, maybe a year and a half clean, where I could go to a hood or area or be around people who do drugs and I no longer looked or seemed or acted like someone who was going to get by drugs. Right. Like people would be selling drugs and they weren't like, yo, are you straight? That that wasn't happened to me anymore. Right. And, and I was like smart enough not to make the eye contact. Right. You know what I mean? Like I was moving different. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's like that's when I started to realize that people were even looking at me and saying things that I could never even imagine you on drugs. You know, a year ago, people were like, I can't even imagine this dude getting clean, mm-hmm. you know? And that, you know, when that happens, it changes how you feel about yourself. Because as a drug addict, when people, people might not say, I can't imagine you getting clean, Mm -hmm. but they make you feel that way with their, with their energy. Like you could just sense that somebody's looking at you like, nah, it's never, nothing ever going to be good in your life, you know? For me, I started to embrace it. Like, yeah, bro, I probably ain't never going to get clean. I
2: mean, I felt that way before that hopeless, like... I'm just going to be whatever, you know, I'm not good at quitting. And that's like kind of like the motto of my area. Like we don't quit good. Mm -hmm. And that's why it took me so long to, to, to get clean. But once I got clean, I'm not good at quitting.
0: Welcome to the Genesis House powered by the United Recovery Project. Located in sunny South Florida, we offer drug and alcohol addiction treatment as well as a major focus on dual diagnosis. Our addiction therapy programs include behavioral therapy, 12-step facilitation, psychotherapy, life skills training, and more. At our facility, you can expect a low client-to-staff ratio, daily group therapy, weekly one-on-one therapy sessions, and luxury amenities such as volleyball, basketball, pool, chiropractor, personal trainer, yoga, massage therapy, and more. Contact the United Recovery Project today and let's create a better tomorrow.
1: I was telling someone today, it's like um, when you're an addict, like we have so much energy mm-hmm. that we're just using it the wrong way. You know, mm-hmm. we have so many skills and there's so much that goes into being a drug addict. Like It is. It's not... Not for nothing, but it's like, bro, if you're a drug addict, like, you can act, you can sell, you can (laughs) fucking market, you can, you know, product, you know, you know, connections, you know, you know, relationships, like, like, being a drug addict in itself, forces you to learn these skills that a lot of times the skills are, are wasted, because we're using them in such a self destructive way. But when we get clean, we learn to apply them in like a constructive way. And a lot of us accomplish so much in six months, you know? Yeah. Our biggest problem is that we accomplish so much in such a short period of time, but we get addicted to tearing it all down again right. and then building it back up and tearing it down and building it back up, that we need to break that cycle. And what breaks that cycle is self-worth. Mm-hmm. Because for me, whenever I would build my life up and would kind of get good, I wouldn't have the self-worth to sustain it. Mm-hmm. I would feel not worthy of having this. And then I would not have the belief that I, it could last anyways And I would destruct it on my own. Yeah. For me, there was an understanding
2: that I came into when I first got clean. And and if I'm convinced that I have the disease of addiction, right, Mm -hmm. and and I am fully convinced, and and I was convinced when I got here, it was like there was two ways out of this thing, right? A chemical program or a spiritual program. Mm -hmm. If I live my life in that spiritual program, right, it's that process that, like, that first and foremost, is like everything in my life, like nothing, everybody who I came in contact with direct contact with was affected by my disease. Mm -hmm. You know, in this process that I'm in, everybody who I come in contact with is affected, you know, by my recovery. And that's just how I want it. You know what I mean? And like, for me, it it, it was like, real simple. It's like, bro, you die using chemical program, and we all know what that looks like, you know, Mm -hmm. steal, borrow, rob, cheat you know whatever your story is Mm -hmm. you know what I mean cop go up come Mm -hmm. down emotional roller coaster you know what I mean sleep it off or like do it again driven by the idea that it's going to be different every single time right I give in and I do something different I get with like somebody who has an understanding of why to hear Mm -hmm. you know what I mean and what they're doing and and we get down and we do some things and and something starts to happen something starts to rearrange within me I could never like that is the seed and that is the root from which my life is branched out from Mm -hmm. you know everything I'm able to do now is like own a business be a grandpa, be a dad you know be a friend all those things are, are like due to like the foundation that I laid. So mm-hmm. for me, it's like without a spiritual program, none of these other like branches that, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm developing mm-hmm. are, are possible. And anytime I stop doing mm-hmm. that, right, you know, those branches start to kind of like give way. Now I can always get back to the basics. But for me, it was like real simple. Chemical program, spiritual program, you have it your way. You know, my life is good today because of that. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I have my trials and tribulations and I get into shit just like anybody else that comes yeah. through this way of life. You yeah, like I mean?
1: my um my birthday just passed and like I never celebrate Happy my birthday. Bir- hey, thank you, bro. I never like celebrate my birthday. Like I really don't care about my birthday because it's like it was like my real birthday to me. And like I do so much for my clean day, and they're kind of close. Like my birthday's in November, my clean date's in March. I don't want to deal with like a whole bunch of happy birthday texts and then a whole bunch of like congratulations on mm-hmm. you know 15 years text so it's like for me my birthday is like cool but i'm only able to have birthdays because i got clean yeah so like birthdays weren't gonna keep happening for me like i'm pretty sure like my life was over yeah. not to mention when i was using i don't even remember my birthdays mm-hmm. like i always got arrested around my birthday I was always on drugs. I was always, like, in trouble or, like, something was always going on in my life that, like, I I never... I can't even tell you the last time I had someone come over and say happy birthday to me when I was using. My clean date means so much to me that I almost forget my birthday because it's, like, I don't know. Like, to me, my birthday means nothing to me. I wasn't involved. (laughs) I didn't do anything. And, like, I understand that people, like, want to celebrate, like, birthdays. But to me, like, getting clean is the foundation of my whole life Mm -hmm. it's the reason why i have a house it's the reason why i have a job it's the reason why i'm employable it's the reason why i can have a bank account like Mm -hmm. i didn't have any aspirations or dreams to do anything with my life until i got clean yeah so it's like to me like i'm aware of that and i'm aware that it's not just being clean it's in the process like i have a sponsor and i work the 12 steps yeah and like that's my goal is to try to get people to get excited about working the 12 steps because sometimes my biggest issue is like i could get people to go to meetings because i make it entertaining i'm like bro you got to come to this meeting i could get someone to go to a meeting i'll get people to buy into how cool it is to be clean right it's like because it is cool people that are using they don't once they get clean they start to see how much it benefits their lives right but to get them to sit their ass down at a Starbucks and write on steps mm-hmm. is the hardest thing for me to get them to do because it's right. so hard for me to show them what the steps do.
2: Right. You know? Yeah, nah, I get that, man. Like, my birthday just passed too in November. Um, It was actually oh, Sunday. That's cool. You're a
1: Scorpio? I
2: am, man. Damn, that's
1: why we got them woman <laughs> problems, bro. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man.
2: So I just turned 44 and um, wow. happy birthday. You know, thank you man And I'm a grandpop now like I'm playing with house money you know I got shot 20 years mm-hmm. ago I poop in dead dead you know my daddy died five years before that you know he was like 33 you mm-hmm. know what I mean I'm playing with house money I outlive my dad I'm great I outlive my grandpop you know what I mean and it's like for me that like I'm like damn I want to be celebrated but mm-hmm. there was no better way for me to celebrate that than to go to work because it's like I have been given a life and I've been given a beautiful life and it's so grateful. And like, you my life is good, man.
1: Like, yeah. And like, there's like this gratitude that we have as addicts that like, is so deep. It's like, like when people see my life now, they're like, oh man, your life is like so amazing. What do you have? You have all this shit. But like, I truly feel like, bro, I got everything I ever wanted mm-hmm. 13 years ago. Right. Like when I had a year clean, two years clean, I got more than I ever dreamed of at two years. Mm-hmm. Like I got everything I ever wanted, ever needed at two years clean. I couldn't believe it, but I was 19. Mm-hmm. I was 19 with two years clean. I used to fucking smoke crack. Like <laughs> I was the happiest person ever. Right, 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 You know, and sometimes I see people in recovery miserable and they think that if they got the job, then they would be happy. They think that if they got the car that they would, be... and like, they're just like, you ever meet people and they're just like going through life, like all rigid and weird. And you're mm-hmm. just like, I don't know how else to explain it, but like you gotta enjoy it. Yeah. Like whatever it is, you gotta learn to enjoy it.
2: Yeah. If people come to me and they ask me, you know, how am I doing? And, <laughs> and like, I'm known for saying this is funny and I'll be like, yo, my life's so good today I could buy cheese fries. Mm. <laughs> people, yeah, like, bro. They laugh and people and I say that all the time if I'm speaking anywhere and I'll be like, yo, my life's so good today I could buy cheese fries it's, and it's it, true.
1: Yeah, because <laughs> cheese fries is like some extra, extra shit. But I was telling someone the other day, I used to eat ketchup sandwiches. Right. I remember being like so junked out and like I was hungry but not really and I'd be in the kitchen eating like a ketchup sh- sandwich you know uh, being clean you just like get excited for like basic things yeah. you know
2: you know about two years ago i started a business i've been doing fairly well
1: how did that start
2: it starts. you don't look like somebody who uh is, like cleans houses that's the country dodo that's mm-hmm. like they, they don't expect that yeah they, you know i get into that with a lot of women they kind of like oh employees and women and they're just mm-hmm. kind of like thinking they know and then i'll come do the job with them and they'll be like Holy yeah shit. because
1: normally like me man i'll leave dust everywhere <laughs> i'm fucking
2: nah, dirty i'm pretty good at it but it started just through being like down and out on myself about a situation that happened and i was just like getting jobs and I was like leaving like I don't want to be at work I want mm-hmm. to go home and eat Popeyes pies and lay in my bed and yeah you know yeah I had one of my boys ask me to clean his house and it was like the next day this I told this lady about it and she was a realtor mm-hmm. and the next day she was like well I have like I broke my leg so can you come clean you know my properties for me because I'm gonna oh what's the word renovate
1: yeah she'll, Oh, okay she'll right. renovate so she had moved everybody showing. out
2: and she wanted don't you know mm-hmm Cleaned and then renovated and then come clean up behind the construction. Mm-hmm. I said, I'll do that for you. You know what I mean? You're not working. I'm like, all right, whatever. It's like Man, I'm gonna start business. Like I should do this. And I was like doing Uber Eats at the time. Mm-hmm. Uber Eats was good for me because like I started to like not want to work for people anymore. And it wasn't because I'm a bad employee. It's because like. I just didn't have any direction, man. My heart was so broken. Like mm-hmm. I was in a really bad space. I didn't know which way was up. But mm-hmm. you know, bills got to be paid like FPL. Not trying to hear you depressed. Dog. <laughs> like, I'm depressed. I'll get you next month. They like no sitting is dark. You know what I mean? And that's what you do. So I was doing the Uber Eats. And what I would do is I would take my business card and staple it to every meal. Oh, that's the people would bite. You know what I mean? It's for like, the house clean. Yeah people would bite you know recovery That's people show up. Fire. you know the interesting thing about recovery people right uh-huh. is that they come here to get a life and some of them actually have college backgrounds mm-hmm. you know good financial backgrounds they understand money and they get lives and they start mm-hmm. businesses
1: and right, and we really look out for each other like as much as like people talk shit about the fellowship we help each other so much it's crazy yeah so you mainly do offices or you do bu- or houses I do both.
2: Okay. I do post construction. I do houses. I do offices. I, I have like two maybe like whole business buildings mm-hmm. that I do and you know, wax their floors and, you know, shit like that strip mm-hmm. and wax the floors. And my boy Jesse, he was just kind of like starting his pressure washing business at the time. He's like, man, you should fucking do it, man. I'm not working for nobody no more. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's a fearful thought, bro you know what I mean? And like, yo, God's been good to me, man. Like, God's been good to me. And, and I went out and I just started doing it. And yeah, I was like making a certain amount of money per month. And like, I met this girl, her name's Trisha, And she was like, hey, man, you X, Y, and Z a little bit with marketing. And she gave me something that she could charge somebody easily $1,000, $2,000 mm-hmm. for and in expert information. And she gave it to me for free. And, and my income jumped from there. And, and like, that was the conversation I had with my sponsor today because, you know, here, man, I had, I got a case of shoes, which is like, it's like 90 shoes in there, right? Mm-hmm. And I like Jordans and Air Maxes and stuff like that. And, you know, I was just kind of like, what's all this for? I definitely like hit a space, you know, over the past maybe month or two mm-hmm. where like, you know, what what was really important you know what I mean is it is it really important and I'm looking at people man and, and like what do I want to leave an example for the people I'm responsible for mm-hmm. and the people that I will be allowed to be in their life where God's going to see fit for me to carry a message to them right mm-hmm. you know where's my mindset at is my mindset on make two thousand dollars to spend one thousand on the gold chain
1: mm-hmm.
2: you know what I mean that's like low fruit mentality
1: I'm gonna keep it real bro it's like bro if i can afford it and it's not gonna fuck up my life and a lot of things that i buy i try to think like are they gonna hold their value my shoes probably not bro right. you know like that was fucking dumb right. i probably got crazy with shoes yeah. for a little bit <laughs> I it's, did. it's okay bro it's totally fine <laughs> I did. it's okay bro yeah. some people get fat some people whatever yeah. like i don't know sometimes i feel like we need to tap into like we're human bro like Make the mistakes to get to the lesson. Yeah. When you don't have something, the allure of not having it is really more sexy and fulfilling than getting it. Right. Sometimes wanting something, just like getting high, bro, crack don't even feel good. <laughs> it's, it's, it's before. Yeah. So it's like the same thing it's with it's shoes and cars or whatever. Yeah. It's like the allure of like maybe one day I could get it. You got to go through that process. I hit
2: that point mm-hmm. where it's like I'm 44 what does OG Jordan 1 High do for me yeah. in my life right now? You know what I mean? It was like, yeah, I got them because they had I hadn't had them since 1986. And like, you know what I mean? So I, I'm like sitting around seeing all this stuff and I'm like 44, mm-hmm. you know? And I think it was like my birthday coming and just like, it was like a little, you know, my sponsor said it was just kind of like, you know, maybe some growth, mm-hmm. you know, that just like happens. But I definitely feel like what you said was important that like, you you have to go into there in order yeah. to, like, understand that. It's like what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Like, you wouldn't be able to say what like you pe- were saying like without people. Doing
1: it. I remember, uh, like, my friend started making money, and this dude was, like, ridiculous and on Instagram or whatever. And someone was like, come on, bro, act like you've been there before. And he was like, I haven't. <laughs> I haven't been here before. This shit is fucking crazy yeah, to me. Yeah. I think the biggest thing about people in recovery is that we have the ability to take a look at ourselves and do inventories constantly. Mm-hmm and then do like a self-appraisal and then be able to talk about like our defects and then talk about like what asset we're going to practice and then do like our amends and like we we stay in a process of like constantly refining our character mm-hmm. where i think a lot of people are just like this is just me i'm, yeah. I'm just not going to think about it i'm just whatever yeah. you know no that's, which is that's like really how like awesome i grew part. up with you know yeah. i grew up with like family members and people like Like, bro, I never met, like, my dad trying to be like, I'm going to change this about myself. Mm -hmm. I'm going to work on my anger. Like, you just never heard anybody talk about stuff like that. I have moments where I feel this need to buy something. I don't even know what it is. Mm -hmm. You ever just want to buy something? You just want to spend money? Like, you just don't know what it is? All the time. And it's like, when I was using I would have feelings of, like, I just want to do something. Yeah. I don't even know what it is. I just have that feeling of, like, how I got to do something. Yeah. And for me... I try to just monitor like, am I trying to escape a feeling? Why can't I just be comfortable? Maybe I should do something constructive, like pray or read or whatever, mm-hmm. or put on an audiobook and let it pass. And a lot of times it's not really something I need to do. It's just something that is a distraction from the present moment. Right. And I don't wanna always be chasing that, but it's gonna happen. Everybody yeah. on the planet does that. I feel I feel like when you don't
2: address it it causes pain, right? Mm-hmm. And like For me, like, that's where, like, the serenity prayer comes, you know, it it becomes prevalent in my life. And the serenity prayer in itself is, like, probably one of the most overlooked Mm -hmm. tools we have. Yeah. Because it's very effective, right? What, moreover, like, the second part of it, right, Um, living one moment at a time, Mm -hmm. you know, accepting my hardships as a pathway to peace. Mm -hmm. So it's, like, 10 and 11, (laughs) You know what i mean like that's exactly what it talks about i'm gonna live one day at a time you know but i'm gonna have like you know in order to be refined right Mm -hmm. for me most times i'm not going to the doctor unless i have symptoms
1: Mm -hmm.
2: so when i experience pain and my spirit is being pulled this way that way and i feel like in a disarray and i feel disconnected if i'm not in like an active like mode of like constantly like using tools um that is usually what motivates me to get back into it right and and, and a period of refining the process of refining mm-hmm. starts right and i get to a different level of understanding and i think that like you know starting a business and you probably can relate it's just like you know it's a very cerebral thing mentally. i would
1: imagine it's like having a kid <laughs> it's just like <laughs> And like having a business is just like that. It's like you almost can never relax ever again, you know? <laughs> you it's, like, it's like for the rest of your life, as long as this business is still here, it's like you have this responsibility over people's paychecks, compliance, lawsuits, payroll, like, you know, the, the bank account, the overhead, the ta- paying taxes, like buying new products or inventory or whatever. And it's like when you leave work, it doesn't leave you. No, And that's the difference between being an employee and being like an employer. Yeah, it's it's pretty heavy stuff and um,
2: your life gets pretty full from that, right? And the process just gets really important. You know, the tools become really important because for this simple fact, like the bigger your life gets, the bigger your program has Mm -hmm. to get, right? I have to start doubling down my efforts. I have goals, you know, and I have like, I want to like love myself, right? And it's like most people will be like they love themselves because they've been clean for a certain. Mm-hmm. I haven't used drugs for seven years, so I love myself. But yeah, I'm smoking cigarettes. I'm watching porn. You know, what I mean, I'm eating fucking Popeyes every mm-hmm. night. So do I really love myself? Because that stuff says I don't even like myself because Mm -hmm. I'm like taking that in, right? So these are the important things. These are little mosquitoes outside of the big alligators that we're looking for to be bit by. Mm -hmm. The little mosquitoes are tearing me up all the while. And like that's what's kind of like happening for me. And like this growth part is kind of like going into like you know, creating my own narrative as far as like a business is concerned or career change. And it's like, I have to be on my game, like mentally, spiritually, in order to carry some type of integrity, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's been very eventful over the past two years, like learning so much, you know, I just lost an account, you know, Mm. with one of my good friends, like a Monica is like, bro, you're not doing an effective job. And I looked at like my part in that right not my part and then i just looked at like what was i actually doing what did that actually look like right Mm -hmm. and i took those and i carried them now into the next where it's like you know money's gonna come i'll be good with that because like my life has been like i've been able to be useful Mm -hmm. you know And and like that's the bigger picture for me but still you know and like learning business and carrying some type of integrity and like perseverance through like all this stuff and having fear of losing accounts when you lose an account, it's like, well, where's the next dollar going to come from? Right. And then your phone rings and it's like, God is good. Right. So it's like, you know, having some faith and have that faith develop in the trust. And the more that my faith is developed in the trust, the less that like I fear moments of question, mm-hmm. you know, moments of uncertainty and I'm able to get through them. You know, I I, I get in a gratitude list sometimes and all these little things that people do, but I'm more focused. And what I get from the steps mm-hmm. is more focused on where God is not. Where am I not allowing God, this universal spirit, you know, not the religious God that we go to, like, a, a temple or church or a masjid. I'm talking about that thing that's at the core of my essence that, like, brought me here. Mm-hmm. Hey, I need help that thing you know i mean that thing that i follow that keeps me going to a meeting you know every day or whenever Mm i get there and stuff like that and like that's what happens when you you know you stay clean and it's not about not using no more it's about the next time i will Mm -hmm. if i don't address these little mosquitoes yeah and i
1: always try to like explain people it's like um People always ask me, like, oh, you feel like you're going to use or whatever? And I'm always like, well, I'm in protective custody right now. Like, I do X, Y, and Z to ensure that, like, I'm not going to use. I have no fear of using. I don't think I'm going to use. But at the same time, I don't take things lightly. If I have surgery, I communicate with people. If I go through, like, a breakup or whatever, I'm communicating and transparent. I'm not letting money and property prestige divert me Mm -hmm. from my my process. So as long as I'm still in the process of, of recovery... I'm in no danger of using. Now I do have years clean. So like you have to build that foundation slowly, brick by brick, in the beginning, for you to get to a point where you can like live that way. But for a lot of people, that's like one of their biggest questions. Like, do you think you're gonna relapse? I'm like, no, I don't think I'm gonna relapse. Does that mean that I'm gonna hang out with a bunch of people doing drugs? No. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So a lot of it is like, you know. Like, people say, like, if you want to get fucked, you have to get in position. I'm not putting myself in fucked up positions. Right. Okay? I haven't been clean long enough to, to do that. Like, I'm not, yeah. you know, going to ever get to that point. But, man, I want to thank you for coming on the show. Hell does have an exit. I appreciate you, bro. Oh, man.
2: Thank hey, you for absolutely, having me. This has been awesome. Have a
1: good night, bro. Yes, sir. This show is not affiliated with any specific 12-step program. If you or a loved one is struggling with an addiction, please find a local 12-step meeting. If you believe you may need detox or drug treatment of any kind, please call 833-999-1877 to speak to a specialist. This show is sponsored by United Recovery Project, a state-of-the-art drug and alcohol rehab facility. You can visit our website at unitedrecoveryproject.com.